series on the book of Jonah during this month of August, a series entitled uh, God Loves All, and uh, today we're in the third chapter. I hope you'll follow along in your bulletin insert. I'll read these words for us. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not. football season once again. Some of you may be happy about that and others not so happy. But the reason I know it's football season is because every night on the news they talk about the Carolina Panthers. I mean every night. And who's been hurt at training camp and who hasn't and who's doing well and how the preseason games are going and all that sort of thing. And of course the Panthers have this goal every year to go back to the Super Bowl. They played in that game one year, did not win, as I'm sure you remember, and they want a second chance at football's highest prize. I mention that because this text before us today really is talking about second chances. Because we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. tells us that Jonah had been disobedient, that he failed to do what God wanted him to do the first time, and so he has a second chance, a second opportunity to be obedient to God's call upon him this time, but it also tells us something even more important. It tells us something about God. It tells us that he perseveres. When it comes to sinful people like you and me, it tells us that he does not give up, and that he persists with his call upon our lives. That's one of the things that's so telling about Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Right near the end of that story, how the father goes running out 
to that son. It's a picture of the kind of love that God has for you and me, that his love is always active, that he's always pursuing, always going after, always calling. In fact, we can see that God is a God of second chances all over this Bible from Peter, who denied knowing his Lord at his moment of need, and then was given a second chance for ministry that morning on the Sea of Galilee, or at the the coast of the sea. But think about Moses, who failed miserably at leadership when he was at an early age in Egypt, and spent the next 40 years taking care of sheep until God called him back to that land his birth to lead his people to freedom. But even Abraham is given a second chance. We don't notice that so much in the Genesis version of the story, but we do in some words that Stephen, that wonderful deacon in the New Testament, gives us in the book of Acts. In his speech to the Sanhedrin and high priest in Acts 7, He says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, depart from your land and from your kindred and go into the land which I will show you. Then he departed from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. We can see that Abraham left Ur, but he stopped in Haran, which was still hundreds of miles north of the promised land. Who knows that that he might have stayed there if God hadn't come to him a second time, which is what I believe we read in Genesis 12, where God says, Go from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So Abram went as the Lord. Now see, from those two passages together, Genesis 11, 12, and Acts 7, we see that Abraham went, as the Lord told him, all the way to the promised land at this second prompting. And Jonah is much the same. He needed another opportunity to be obedient. Now, as we've been talking about in this study of the book of Jonah, what we need to learn from this more than anything else is that we are Jonah, you and I. And just like Jonah needed more than one opportunity to be obedient, many times so do we. And we see the same sorts of decisions and sins in the lives of people in the Scripture, in the lives of people like Peter. Abraham and Moses and many others. In fact, we know that Jesus tells his church in Matthew 28 to go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations. But as we've already talked about in this series, I'm not sure that the church is doing a good job with that. Sometimes the church is doing a very good job in certain places, certain situations, certain times, but many times they're not. Jesus says the fields are already white for harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
see that in verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And what we're seeing here are some religious-type signs of repentance. We see sackcloth, which in ancient times was a symbol of repentance, somewhat universally it must have been, since we know that's true in Israel. We read it in the Old Testament, but it's also obviously true in this pagan city of Nineveh. And in addition to sackcloth, we also see fasting, and fasting was a way of seeking God's mercy. And these religious signs of repentance are important, but by themselves, they don't mean very much, since repentance involves a turning, a true change in behavior. All of us have known people who are very religious, but their actions, their priorities, their decisions, sometimes even the things they say, show us that their faith is not real. James says faith without works is dead. Sometimes repentance is just all religion with no action. And this is where the king's involvement in all of this comes to bear fruit, for we're told that when the king heard about it, he also used these same religious signs of repentance, sackcloth and, and, and fasting, and that adds prayer to it, but it even goes further than that. In verses 7 and 8, we read that he issued a proclamation. And he said, Let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence that is in his hands. You see, unlike us at times, even this pagan king understands that true repentance involves not just outward signs and disciplines, but also involves a change of heart that translates into a new way of living. These religious signs of repentance are combined with a true turning from what has caused them to be in trouble with God in the first place, which is their brutality, their violence. That God's heart will be soft toward them if he sees a true change. We see that hope there in verse 9 when he says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And he doesn't know it because he's a pagan king, but he's using a biblical phrase there, Who knows? Because David talks the same way about God in 2 Samuel 12 when he's concerned that his baby born to him from Bathsheba is going to die. And he doesn't know what God's going to do. But David uses that same phrase, who knows, just as the prophet Joel uses that same phrase. Speaking about God in his second chapter. And then the last verse of our text gives us God's decision. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Which brings us to the final word that's all over this chapter, though it's never written 
Galatians 3 describes that part of God's character when it says the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he calls grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. God is a compassionate God because his love causes him to be not just for his chosen people, but that love extends to all people. It extends to a bunch of violent people in the city of Nineveh. It extends all over the world because God loves his creation. Now, sometimes when we read a passage like this and we see that God has changed his mind about something, that seems to bother uh, us Presbyterian types because we've been taught about the immutability of God. We know that doctrine, that God does not change. And we know that Hebrews chapter 13 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what we need to understand is that that's talking about God's character. God and who God is does not change, can never change. That doesn't mean that God cannot change his mind about something he has told someone to do, especially when he's put a condition upon what he's told them to do, which is what we see here in the book of Jonah. Now, Jeremiah 18 explains this very well, it seems to me. That's where... Jeremiah is told to go to the potter's house and watch the potter making pottery, and he learns all kinds of things, not only about himself and about God's people, but he learns things about God as well. And one of the things that God tells him there is this, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the evil that I intended to do to it. God is God. And that means he can carry out his purpose and his will even through conditions he puts upon you and me. We see that in Jeremiah as well, that the Bible is not embarrassed to say that God does change his mind when it comes to being compassionate, even when his righteousness and justice would require discipline or even death. And you and I should be thankful for that because we turn from his way so many times. I mean, who could be saved if it weren't for the compassion of God? His compassion is why he sends this prophet Jonah to the city of Nineveh. His compassion is why he sends his own son, Jesus Christ, into this world. It's because of the abundance of his love. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And of course, without that compassion, God would have never sent Jonah. But he did sing. And once he finds 
them went down by more than 50%. But it was a short-lived revival. Probably not more than 20 or 25 years. Because you go to Wales now and you see all these churches that are empty and you see churches that have been converted to something else. And what I want you to see and understand from this is that that's the kind of love God has for you and me. And that He loves people even when their repentance is going to be short-lived. It reveals a God who really does love all. He loves those who walk according to His ways. He loves those who do evil things. He loves even the wicked and the foolish. This is the kind of God we are. This is what Paul tells us is our story. God loving someone who's evil and wicked. For he says, God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. That's when Jesus Christ this is the God we serve. This is the God who pursues us. This is the God we worship. And for sinners like you and me, that sounds like 